This is Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me, Nick Andrews, and my brother, Chris. In this episode, Elon gets the bird. After a months-long game of chicken, billionaire and international celebrity Elon Musk was forced to make good on his bid to buy the online social media platform Twitter. It has been a giant and hilarious mess. After just a few days at Twitter, Elon fired his board of directors, along with executive-level staff and many engineers, only to ask the engineers to come back, because they either weren't supposed to be cut, or they were very important to some of the changes he wanted to make. One of those changes was forcing all verified accounts to pay a premium to keep their verified status. After initially threatening to charge $20 per month, he settled on $8 per month. Immediately, the Blue Check Brigade was up in arms, led by Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and celebrity author Stephen King. But with Elon taking over, we wonder, what's the point of verification? What's the point of Twitter? Will it ever make enough money to justify the investment? And most importantly, should it ever be considered a public service? Welcome to episode 46 of Game Theory, podcast about competition, strategy, decision-making, and recently current events. Chris, we're talking about the bird today, talking about uh, Twitter and Elon Musk, everyone's favorite uh, disaster happening on the internet, and I, I just can't look away, to be honest. I'm kind of excited. Well, I think that's the whole point of Twitter's user base. You can't look away because you, like the rest of the pundit class, are hopelessly addicted to ever-refreshing crap content it's like it's like what if every time you open the refrigerator it was just a pile of junk food that was different every time <laughs> yeah and it's it's such a unique platform and we'll talk about we'll talk about how what's going on with elon what the plan is how he kind of got uh, his bluff called and now he's screwed and like a bunch of different people freaking out we're gonna talk about all of that we do have some things to go uh to talk about off the top here the first is that i had a couple people reach out and say thank you or say some nice things about my cat and how much of a bummer that is her vision is slowly coming back which has befuddled vets. They're like, I don't know. I think she's a um, an alternate life force that sucks the life out of me. And you, she's like a Horcrux, or like if you're a Dragon Ball Z fan, like a like Cell. She just takes it from the things around her, and she's like, I am more powerful now than I have ever been. She's like a character on what we do in the shadows. Yeah. Like what's his name? Uh, Colin. Uh, Colin. What's the uh, yeah. energy vampire? You know what I'm talking about. Yes, of course. Colin uh, Robinson. Yes. Well, yes. Which is a great on off the radar storyline and stuff. I, I I'm not caught up, but. It, could definitely do that other things <laughs> uh, to talk yeah so thank you for reaching out for the cats always great to hear from from player three and and you know cats and it's it's weirdly encouraging part of humanity that so much of the economy can be stimulated on pets like there are people in all whole industries dedicated to the fact that people just want to be happy with these little creatures so that's kind of a, a nice bright thing in in humanity when we're talking about like all of this like capitalism and stuff one other thing chris that i wanted to mention was that we had a review on Apple Podcasts. And our first review. It's not our first one, but it feels like our the first second one. review. Yes, something, <laughs> something like that, which to me is absolutely hilarious. It says the following it's either someone that we're related to or someone you went to college with. I'm sure we'll find out. This is from Keenan120. Quote, great topics and great intro music. That's me. Thank you. After 40 episodes, I'm finally starting to be able to tell Chris and Nick's voices apart. <sighs> wow. Yeah. I hope that's not somebody that we know, IRL. <laughs> I, I, uh, I it, it, and if it is, look, uh, I take that as a sign of ultimate disrespect. <sighs> I sound good, and then Nick is there to like give you space. It's like when, uh, it, like when uh, Bruce Springsteen comes on. Mm. It's like that's pretty good music, and it's there to fill the space between like the really Dude. good songs that you actually want to hear. <laughs> All right, like I, you're gonna, so, you're so gonna Nick gonna is Bruce Springsteen. You want, with a you want horse to be Bruce head. Springsteen? That's fine. There's gonna be a horse head in your bed. I wouldn't. I would I would just cut that shit. I would not do that. Um, have, I, well. have I told you about going to? Is this just a really quick aside? 
I guess a, a side quest. Have I told you about going to East Coast weddings in the Northeast? Have you ever been to a wedding where New Jerseyans are marrying each other or it is in New Jersey or there's a strong Jersey connection? Every single one of these weddings has what I call boss o'clock. There will be a time like right around <laughs> about 30 minutes before it's like time to get people home before they embarrass themselves, like between like 1130 and 1230, somewhere in there where they'll play at least two, sometimes three boss songs in a row. And like one of them you've heard it, but unless you're one of the people who, you know, in, in the boss we trust, it happens every single time, right? Like when is boss o'clock? It's time to get on the bus and go home. It happens every wedding, every time without prediction, like without fail, every time. I wouldn't do that to myself. Uh, it, it, by that, I mean I wouldn't go to a New Jersey wedding on purpose. <laughs> but for those people who are forced to do so by virtue of being imprisoned in the state of New Jersey, mm -hmm. uh, I've, that, uh, that, that seems very on brand. Yeah, absolutely. And remember, we have a uh, newsletter. We're on YouTube. We're going to try to make more YouTubes and maybe some TikToks. Eventually, you can connect with us. Reddit, all that stuff is in the show notes. Spotify has a little comment thread. We'd love to hear from you guys, polls, and all of that. And speaking of being in a prison of wealth, let's discuss... Twitter. Let's discuss what's happening with Twitter. So the big news is that Elon Musk has finally taken over Twitter. So let's start with how this happened. The first thing that happened was Elon Musk started to really think about people like Donald Trump and others being banned from Twitter. And he thought, this is a great avenue for free speech. Let's do free speech. There were conservative leaning uh, alternatives. Um, I think the most famous one was Parler. The problem with creating these is that in order to create one that is really good, you have to have elite engineering and money. And when it's not a good startup, like it doesn't matter if it's, you know, it's, it, it, there are no political motives around those being crappy platforms. There just isn't the infrastructure. It's really expensive and hard to create this kind of stuff. So they didn't work. So Elon Musk is like, let's just do one for free speech. So what happened was he was like, maybe I'll buy Twitter. And then he kind of offered to buy Twitter and they accepted. And then he was like, oh, actually, just kidding. I don't want it. And they're like, too late, motherfucker. You own it now. And they sued him and they made him buy it. So he essentially played chicken with the law and the Twitter people were like, this idiot is going to do this. And they call this bluff and now he has to buy it. And now we are in a very precarious situation. Yeah. Precarious is a really good word for it. It's, it's, it's really strange because Twitter's in this kind of bizarre space in the public conversation where a lot of, like, on the one hand, a lot of what happens on Twitter is pretty much self-contained. Like yeah. you hear the phrase, uh, people are very online. Yeah. I've heard people described as like terminally online where most of people's social interaction, especially in the wake of the pandemic, has shifted to being based on like screens and mm -hmm. stuff you can scroll through. And it creates this weird forum where these kind of self-contained conversations about bizarre stuff that's a little bit off the offbeat. It's enough to catch somebody's attention. It's a little bit weird. Sometimes they're funny. Sometimes they're tragic. Sometimes they're uh, very bizarre. And these topics just kind of circulate just in this space on Twitter. And... At the same time, it's also used in some ways by some people as like a proxy for like the broader, like actual real world right. conversation. And I think a large part of that comes from, you know, pundits and talking heads and journalists and celebrities and whomever else can use that as like, here's a digital representation of things that I would like to say. So now instead of just passively consuming news and media and movies and whatever else on television, people can bring that to themselves and they also now have an apparatus with which to interact. It's not just enough. It's it's no longer just the case where somebody's passively watching a screen. They're actively getting to participate, uh, either by liking, scrolling, retweeting, uh, or just expressing themselves. And they're able to interact directly with people who are kind of like in this public sphere. So it's not quite like a self-contained online community that has no basis in the real world. But at the same time, it is entirely online. And a lot of times like important conversations that are happening on Twitter translate into nothing in the real world. Right. So it's it's a very it's a weird kind of space to try to understand and it it's very on brand for a guy like Elon Musk who's Mr. Futurist, Mr. Venture Capitalist, genius, you know, forward thinking blah 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 blah. Whatever this persona is, he's cultivated for himself or tried to cultivate for himself. Twitter seems like a good tool to try to like take freedom of expression some like fundamental human right and try to like 22nd centuryize it and make it modern and <laughs> right it's just so it's weird yeah so we'll talk about twitter here for a second and we'll get into the elon musk where your game theory of, of one of his policies which is that he's going to make people who have verified accounts pay to have the verified accounts which is a fascinating game theory thing that we are going to get into but twitter to me yeah. is the most interesting social media in that it's reached its apex so in in america there's this weird and i'm not just america but in in capitalism there's this weird concept where if you have a company 
or that there is a company that exists and it is public, it must show financial and strategic growth quarter over quarter, year over year. Like it has, there has to become more. Otherwise, the people that are invested in it, they're like, why would I invest in this? I, I'm just going to take my money back, which is a reasonable thing to do. When you do that, you run the risk of like maxing out what you can do. We're seeing this in an adjacent online platform that's one of the major stocks in American history, Netflix. Like there are, I mean, there are only so many people. Like, what are you going like, to, now you're going to start charging them for things and eventually they'll run. And so that's sort of what's happening with Twitter is they reach this apex and unlike Facebook and Instagram before it was acquired by Facebook and unlike TikTok and unlike even Reddit and things, Twitter does not have a monetizable model that makes sense. Like even if they sell your data, there's not really great data. Twitter's such a cesspool of weirdness. Nobody knows what's real. Like I don't think that there are, and compared to Instagram where I think ads are great, I use Instagram ads all the time. I mean, I read them and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. This algorithm is on point. It's what I want to know because of images and things. Twitter doesn't do that. It's garbage. The ad platform is garbage, never makes any money. So they were losing money, which is why they wanted Elon to buy it. And there's, it's kind of hit its apex. But I think that Twitter, because you are limited in character scope, there's not a bunch of bells and whistles. It, it fails every time it tries to copy features. Like you remember, it tried to do the stories that Snapchat and Instagram did. And like, everyone was like, what is this? Stop this. Yeah. It's just basically you shouting into a void. I do like that. I like it when things are happening live, like on elections and sports and things. I can, can go in and say, see what people I kind of associate with, what they have to say. I love doing that. Um, like, for example, my wife and I were running through some trash TV. We watched The Bachelorette, and now we're watching um, Love is Blind. And we try to go on Reddit. I'm watching that too. And it's not good. The conversation on Reddit is not good. I want a bunch of tweets. Like, let's tweet about this show. But that doesn't make it a good thing. The other thing that I like about it is for... And this kind of gets into the verification part of Twitter. I like that people have the ability with the blue check mark, if they're an important entity, to use it as a press release. To say, this is the official situation that's happening right now. Like if Instagram is down, I'll go to Twitter and be like, is Instagram down? Because Twitter will be like, yes, Instagram. It's like a news feed for me, essentially. But it doesn't serve a purpose beyond that. And for you, and I'm going to kick this back over to you, because when you say chronically online, Twitter to me is filled with people who, like the good, the verified people, they're really not good at anything else. Like a lot of comedians and a lot of politicians that like, get, get points on Twitter, but it's just, it's so separate from online and it, for the most part, in-person success and relevance outside of Twitter. If someone's good on Instagram, they're big, big on Facebook. They might also be big on Twitter. They'd be big on TikTok and people sell out their shows. If they're big on Twitter, that doesn't mean shit. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very... I don't want to say it's like a unique platform because there are a lot of platforms that allow you like limited kinds of self-expression. Uh, there are a lot of platforms that allow for like quick real world updates. Yeah. Like there are you know, crime update accounts and weather update accounts. It, it, there, there are good ways to get good information, but it does have its own sort of like unique form of the conversation. Uh, I, I don't want to like, I don't want to portray what I'm about to say as like fact or verified because it's not, mm -hmm. I cannot verify this. Uh, but I remember seeing years ago, uh, you know, those maps that are like, oh, what's the most popular fast food in every state mm -hmm. or what's the most yeah, popular yeah. internet search term in every state this year? I saw one that was what's the most popular social media platform in every state. Again, no idea if this is even real. No idea if it was done by a survey or whatever. And uh, it's it, it, and this was several years ago before like jokes became kind of the only way to discuss social media. Uh, and I remember seeing that uh, the only the only place in in America where Twitter was the number one most important social media app to people was Washington D.C. So. For the third time. I don't know if that's real, if it has any basis in fact. It probably doesn't. But that kind of mentality, I think, is pretty reflective of like the broader conversation mm -hmm. on Twitter. I mean, yeah. there, there are a few like pundits and, and political commentators and writers and stuff trying to promote like political activism or express their opinions or you know, share links to stories they've written. And they're not really trying to do that on other platforms. Right. You know, Instagram doesn't have a whole lot of like, it's not a pipeline to get to Washington post articles. It's not a forum for activism. You know, the, the space is a little bit too small for that. And, and really the only thing that can fit inside that is like sentimental content or like kind of jokes, like the TikTok style mm -hmm. vine style, you know, video clips or kind of weird memes and, you know, we're, we're at a point now where like weirder is funnier and you know, that's, that's, that's been true for quite some time, but <laughs> that kind of, that kind of expression is a little bit more common, I think, and a little bit more at home in platforms like Instagram, Facebook, yeah. Snapchat, stuff like that. And Twitter, I don't know. It's, I, okay. 
Tell, tell me if you think this comparison is okay. I read it. Oh man, you're so you're so worried about this. This must be risky. I, I am. I because I, I I just it like <laughs> okay. it just hit me like just right, now. Right. You've seen Mystery Alaska. Yeah, many times. Phenomenal movie. Great movie. Why is it a phenomenal movie? Because it's a movie that is a serious film based on a ridiculous premise. Wow. The New York Rangers would never go to Mystery Alaska, but true. the movie's like, all right, step past that. We're going to assume it's true. And like, if you can buy the the ridiculous premise, if you can work with me here and suspend your disbelief, this is a pretty serious film. Yeah. So if the premise is, it's, it's, it's like conspiracy thinking. Like, you know, the baseline is so out of whack that no conclusion you draw is going to be like real or true. But if you follow the logic, you can get to a fun conclusion. Yeah. So in yeah. Twitter kind of seems like that. Like it's an utterly unserious platform filled with jokes and bots and spam and all kinds of garbage. But at the same time, people who want to like genuinely have a mouthpiece in the public square and don't want to like wait to get a call to be on cable news, they can just go on the internet and tweet and start talking about like serious stuff and bemoan the downfall of democracy as they uh, are as much as they're able to in the span of 280 characters. I think a, a good into yeah. First of all, great analogy. That's that's that's. A, I mean, it's a good okay. film in, in terms Thank of you. like because uh, it seems like yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, all right. Mystery yeah, Last yeah, is yeah, a great yeah. film for that too because like it's it is just ridiculous enough where like you ever see something where like it Hollywood wouldn't produce it's like that. Mystery Last is the line like this is. Could this have happened? Maybe. Like, weird shit has happened. Like, if you look in the, the St. Louis Marathon and, like, how a dude accidentally won it and stuff, like, that that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Maybe the weird stuff has happened. Sure. Like, that is the line of, like, where it gets serious. Any weirder than that, you're like, okay, this is, like, parody. Or it's, like, an adventure film, like, like The Avengers. Like, this is fake. I know that it's fake. I'm going in for sure that there is magic at play and there are things that are not real. That, but the mystery of Alaska is like, this could happen. Theoretically. Yeah, it, it, has the, it has the courage, I think... To be to be genuine in its effort to like take a ridiculous mm -hmm. premise seriously. Super movies, same story. Like right. superhero yeah. movies, like identical. The whole Marvel universe is based on utterly like it's literally based on children's comic book stories. Yeah, but it's like all right. But what if this was? Yeah, sure. like let's let's be serious here for a second. <laughs> so I think a good Twitter's way to sum like it up, like similar to the Supreme Court with with pornography, you know, and you see, it. I'll put it like this: I wouldn't share life updates on Twitter. You know, yeah, I wouldn't tell people I got married. I wouldn't tell people I was having a kid. I wouldn't tell people I bought new baseball cards on Twitter. I would tell people why I'm smart for buying baseball cards and they're stupid. Like it, it is, it's, it's a self-actualizing and self-gratifying platform. And like, of course, Instagram is, and people fake and Photoshop their stuff, but they also consume other people's content. There's a lot more, I, I, it feels a lot more sincerity on other platforms with Twitter. It's just like, I'm important. Here are my thoughts. And it's just people shouting at each other. So th th this is going to be like a not very online millennials take on on this. So like, tell me also if you think this kind of like basic trajectory of social media over the last decade or so it is it, it, it like makes sense. So originally, like MySpace was kind of like the OG social media yeah. account that's like this is a real person. This is more than like your online persona or like your chat room username. Sure. Yeah, you're you're actually putting yourself your face in a space that's designated for that kind of interpersonal interaction it had like the friend ranking system and like you could personalize your stuff with like what the html code looks like and what the music is that plays as soon as you it was amazing actually page. yeah pretty cool and then facebook came along and it was supposed to be like kind of like myspace for college students yeah and I, you know, I remember talking about that in, in high school a lot. Like, you know, what's the future of Facebook going to be? Is, is it going to be able to, like, overthrow the tyranny of MySpace? Obviously, it did. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, other, other forms of social media kind of came along that were like, well, you know, what's the most important thing? People don't care about, like, your your pictures or whatever on Facebook, like your, your poking and your walls and your timeline, whatever. People just want your status updates. And so Twitter is like, okay, we'll condense the nonsense. And this is no longer about like all the music and friend rankings and all that, that crap. It's just for status updates. So the original idea I think was supposed to be like, yeah, I just bought a new pair of socks today. I, I, it, yeah. it's supposed to be like a 140 character, like just blast of information. And then Instagram was kind of like an alternative to that. It's like, well, you know, I don't really care about your your wall and your layout and, and your music just and pictures, whatever else. Yeah. Like, I just want to see the pictures. Yep. And then, you know, Vine came along and kind of did it. It's disrupting thing. And uh, a, a lot of stuff changed over time. And Snapchat came along with like the disappearing kind of videos that you can send and, and those go away. And so now it is where it is today where it's a much more healthy blend of. Actually, I'm going to backtrack. It's not a healthy blend. It's a. uh 
it's a thorough blend yeah. in a very unhealthy algorithm driven sure. forum where like there's plenty of pictures there's plenty of videos there's clips there's gifs there's status yeah. updates there's all kinds of crap on all the other platforms yeah. so the streams have kind of converged but originally it seemed to me like each one of these social media like things had its own kind of shtick and twitter's i thought was supposed to be like here's a brief thought from somebody on this thing or like here's a quick update that from somebody so I don't have to like go to their page to see that thing. I can just get the update and move on with my life. Right, exactly. So and then people gain fame and like the way the algorithms work and things like it works and people like it and then there are threads and Twitter wants there to be threads like what if you scroll through like COVID was a really watershed moment for the importance of Twitter like you get actual information on your phone and the, the, the platform started to engage with whether or not the information was fact checked and they've been doing better at that like it became a little bit more serious but at the end of the day like to circle back to what we we're talking about it still doesn't make any fucking money and and if you're publicly held that's the problem so Elon Musk he got his bluff called. He was forced to buy it. He took out a $1 billion loan to finance it. He gets there and he's like, there are too many bots. There are too many fake accounts. There's too much fake news. There's too much garbage. And also we're losing all this money. So he comes up with a plan. And the plan is twofold. One, he's going to do what he did at Tesla and SpaceX, which is work the, the talented people into dust. He forces, he is like no days off. You hear 18 hours a day. He works them to death. It's crazy what he does. The second thing is he wants to charge verified users $8 a month. It started at 20, then they're like, no. And then it went to $8 a month, which to me is him being like, if I say eight, they'll freak out. I'll say 20, they'll be eight. And they're like, oh, that's right around the money that I'm willing to pay for that. So they start. they came up with this idea to charge verified users as a way to, to boost whatever. And I, I think there's like a million verified users. It's not going to generate a ton of money. I think I saw a figure online, like $34 million a year, like not a lot, but that's cash. And obviously the verified users freaked out. I was like, you expect me to pay $8. And I have some examples that are funny that we'll talk about in a moment. But essentially a verified account was the idea that Twitter very quickly learned that if NBC has an account, like I could just make an account that says NBC and who knows what's the difference. So the idea of verification is super genuine and it makes a ton of sense. And for the longest time, I think about 10 years, Twitter verified people and by reaching out to them and being like, are you this? Can you, is this, can you confirm that you're Tom Brady? And then they would do it because people can get confused. And every year in sports is a great example of this. Every year, some troll accounts will change their profile picture and stuff and make it seem like something crazy happened that didn't actually happen. And they'll get people and you got to oh, yeah. find the blue check mark and you got to find the at and you're like, okay, is this really a thing? So then in 2018, Twitter started to explore the idea of opening up verification, the processes to where you could just apply for it. And if you could prove that you were you, they would kind of give it to you. And there was a big queue and they would do a couple, then they would shut it down. Then they would do more and they would shut it down. The amount of verified people like tripled by 2020. And as a result of that, you have all of these people that have blue check marks and you're like, you having a blue check mark is super weird because I don't give a shit if there's a fake account about you. I don't really care. And so now Elon, I think, kind of figured that out. And I, I've had this theory for a while too, that the, the verification is not about verifying your identity. It's about rewarding the people that are creating engagement and who are addicted to the app and don't have anywhere else to go or another platform. And I think what he's doing is capitalizing on this. So there's been pushback. And I said, we'll have examples and we're gonna, we, we will in a second. But Chris, this verification thing, it's sort of like the regulars at a bar. So if you have a bar and if you ever watched Bar Rescue, they talk about this. Like, do you yep. want regulars or do you want new users? Like, well, you want new users, but what you want is to convert new users into the regulars that are alcoholics that never leave. And you don't want the regulars to scare off the new users which Twitter is kind of having a problem with that. So let's get some new regulars in here and let's just tap them for all their money. We don't care if they're addicted. Yeah, bar, first of all, Bar Rescue is a hilarious show. Hilarious. Like, absolutely ridiculous show. Uh, but uh, is, and, and that's an endorsement, by the way, for mm -hmm. the record. Like RT is equal endorsement here. <laughs> but so it, it is kind of like a system of, of rewarding people who are like more prominent or are driving conversation. And I don't mean that in the sense that like they're generating more interaction because... Every once in a while, you know, the algorithm does a good job of like pushing the uh, the viral tweets, which, by the way, viral doesn't mean anything anymore. No, um, it's, a, it's just a useless term. But like tweets that get like tens of thousands of likes and, and interactions and stuff, those are not always and often not coming from verified accounts right. because they're not claiming to be anybody serious. They're not claim, claiming to represent any kind of like official viewpoint or like it, it, they're not representative of anything. They're just tweets that get a lot, a lot of attention and, and circulate throughout the algorithm. So it's not about that. Instead, it's more about like 
developing like a user base and yeah. and a lot of the verified voices like early on used to be like organizations like news like the new york times and washington post and whomever else or like businesses like wendy's has a hilarious twitter account but like this is really like a representation of like the corporate voice yeah. of this company in this public in, in this online platform and with the the proliferation of blue checks that kind of shifted away from recognizing that this is officially somebody in the real world that you can like connect this with to like now this is somebody who gets rewarded for what getting attention driving the conversation in a particular way right. and the real the real i think uh kind of sort of this like conspiracy thinking of the the hyper politically minded people who interpret the way that blue check like proliferation has gone is that uh, Twitter is verifying people with like certain political opinions or like or representative of Twitter's own like specific interests in how like the broader discourse is propagated. And so if you're an insecure man child worth tens of billions of dollars and you have an obsession with attention and you'll do any wacky thing to get that kind of attention and you like to present yourself as like a smart future thinking defender of like some bringing human rights into the into the future yeah then you'll think oh well yeah this is nonsense like we shouldn't verify this and then you'll fall back on the only fair system that on the only system that you think is fair because it has provided you with success in the past and that is paying money for stuff yes and like it, it's it's such an interesting thing it's like how much are you willing to pay for a status symbol how much are you willing to pay to be like more important than the people, your audience? You, you have, let's say you have 30,000 followers. And I'm going to get into an example. Like, cause I commented on a guy's, I responded on Twitter to a guy that was, that, that was, I guess, just supposing about some things and, and, and thinking aloud. And I was like, you're the exact fucking guy. Like you're the drug addict. This is, you are the guy that they are talking about that I'm talking about right now. So I'll, I will, I guess I could um, share my screen since we use zoom to record. There are other podcast recording platforms, but I simply, don't think they're that much better than Zoom. Okay, so here we are. There's this guy, Alex Krishner. Alex Krishner yes. is a um, a college football commentator. He also does a lot of sports stuff. He's worked for things like Slate and the Huffington Post. So he's, he's your woke um, kind of lefty, but he's a sports journalist, and he, he makes his money as a journalist. So here's what he said. Quote, my guess is that I'll pay the $8 because as a freelancer, it is bad business not to get priority. But it will just be extremely embarrassing to have a check mark that is being paid for. I think I might rather pay the $8 and not have it so I don't look so thirsty, which is really interesting because he's saying I pay the $8 to have the benefits of the check mark without actually having the check mark, which is an even crazier vain thing. Like, I don't, which is wild to me. I responded, said, Well, yeah, at a certain point, that check mark just validates super users. Of course you'll pay. You're all going to pay. You'll pay when it gets as high as Netflix. You're going to keep paying this. He's like, I'm unsure about that. I think it depends on how norms evolve. Like, I don't. I think as long as you feel important for having this, you're going to fucking pay it. I mean, I think like $25 might be the max, but like you're going to pay to feel important. Like that is the FOMO stuff that we talked about with Billy McFarlane. Like that is what's happening here. And it's only, this shit would not fly on Instagram. It would not fly on TikTok. I, and I, on TikTok with verified users, I kind of don't consume their content if, unless they're famous. Like I don't, just because you were an, an original adapter of this and you have a blue check mark, I kind of hate you now. You're not one of us. Yeah, it, it, it's clear that like I'm I'm investing something in order to get attention from you, and right. it, it it just feels like feels like I'm I'm being gotten over on when uh, I'm I'm paying attention to people who are like clearly trying to reap the benefit of, of, of like going for my attention. So I have a, but, I have some more examples there, Chris. If you want them, you ready for the examples I've been well, talking about? I, I am, and then I want to talk about like uh, the the political angle. I know this this is not a political show, but uh, there yeah. are some very interesting data to discuss about the political ramifications of what's happening here. So, which is fascinating. If you don't like that, oh, once I have we, a segue. Once we up, I have a segue. Use well, it for you. Oh, oh, all right, all right. So I, the, I can't wait for the segue. So the first person that said it, which is just hilarious, was that Stephen King tweeted that he doesn't need the blue check mark, and Elon Musk is like, "Well, just give us eight dollars," and we're like, "Are we watching the guy worth?" Half a billion argue with the guy worth twenty billion about eight dollars a month. Is this really happening in front of our faces right now? The other one, which is hilarious, is our homie, the one and only Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, the representative of I think the third district of New York. She is incredibly famous. Incredibly yes. famous. So <laughs> 
She responded. She tweeted, "Quote Lamau, which stands for laughing my ass off at billionaire La- Ern- Lamau. 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 What do you what do you like a is this a 46 episode or is it 46 birthday? I heard oh, yeah, Lamau. I heard people I heard young people saying that on TikTok. I think that's what you say. Did you? Yes, I think okay, that they're like that, that's even more embarrassing the than you Yes, that. it's back. Uh, uh, unbelievable. Lamau at billionaire earnestly trying to sell people on the idea that free speech is actually an $8 a month subscription plan. And he responded, yeah, now pay me $8. <laughs> All right. So, and she's a good point. Like I, she's a representative of the United States of America. She being, her being verified as annoying as she can be on Twitter, her being verified, that makes sense. She's someone like, that's the, the representative. Like this is not, I'm being bullshitted. If she says this out loud, like that helps people vote and shit. That's important. But her using it to complain on Elon Musk and then him telling her tough fucking shit, if you want to be verified, pay me money. It's, it's, we're, that's where we are right now. And that's the kind of conversation that I think breaks down the illusion that Twitter is some kind of public good. Yeah. So there, there was a, there's a lot of conversation, uh, depending on how like the broader discourse is going, people use this like t- to try to get like political points over on, on their opposition. But a lot of the issue comes down to like, okay, Twitter is so prevalent. Facebook is so prevalent. Instagram is so prevalent. These platforms are so pervasive in modern society. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up Bowling Alone again. Mm-hmm, I mentioned obviously. that book. I don't know, probably half a dozen times. We owe the them royalties. Yeah, we, we really do. Robert Putnam, brilliant sociologist. But so the, these pervasive social media platforms are such a, an intrinsic part of American life now because we're so cordoned off. We're, we're less engaged than ever. We're less interconnected than ever. And we've kind of like convinced ourselves that online engagement is somehow a proxy for real meaningful social connection. And really like, I, I think a more accurate analogy for that is, is like, instead of just like mindlessly sitting around watching TV, we're mindlessly sitting around looking at our phones and mm-hmm. like, it gives us the illusion that we're part of something else, but we're actually not. But regardless of that, like the question often becomes, okay, because this thing is so important and because this thing is a means to like express information to people, like if a national emergency happens, you don't know what's going on. Like checking Twitter might be a good way to get genuine information from like the government to like help you get to safety or you know, figure COVID. out what to do. Or yes, whatever. COVID. COVID, yeah, perfect example of that. You're exactly right. So the question becomes, is this thing that's such an important part of American life but is not like a government sanctioned thing it, should this be considered like a public good? Yeah. Does this rise to the level of like water or internet or electricity or like some other kind of genuine utility? And as a, and as a consequence of that, should it be regulated or kind of measured out in some way? Elon Musk taking over this is clearly like, obviously greed and self-interest are the primary drivers here. And, yeah. and like the, the, you know, the, the, the rambling activity of an egomaniac, but I think you could make a genuine argument for like, no, this is somebody who's trying to like rest that the answer to that question away from those who would like try to regulate it and make this more into like a public utility and return it to its roots as just like a free, a, a place of, of free expression for people. Uh, obviously there are some consequences to that because there are, there are questions about like, all right, uh, if, if this is a pr- platform that protects free speech, should it draw a line for when that free speech becomes like inflammatory, dangerous, threatening, mm-hmm. bigoted, whatever else? Very complicated questions to ask because it's hard to tell like when has when does something cross the line? And that's made even worse by this uh I want to bring up this thing called Pose Law. Have you ever heard of that? No, let's do it. Okay, so Pose Law is an adage. Like uh, Edgar Allan like, Poe, like that's how you spell it? Uh, I don't know who it's. Uh, it, it's based on a comment written by someone named Nathan Poe. Okay, uh, he wrote it a long time ago. It was on uh, this website called ChristianForums.com. Love it. It was like it was like the like a chat room kind of like before social media really took off. Uh, and the the point that he made was uh, uh, without a winking smiley or other blatant display of humor, it is utterly impossible to parody a creationist. So like he's talking about a, a Christian issue here to parody a creationist in such a way that someone won't mistake for the genuine article. So in other words, like as online conversation goes, because viewpoints are so diverse and so varied and so hard to like understand, you can't tell the difference easily between like between parody when someone's making fun of a viewpoint and when somebody actually genuinely expresses that viewpoint right so sarcasm on twitter is not possible right so how do you so how do you like regulate what kind what isn't isn't free speech what isn't isn't bigotry what isn't isn't like threatening uh how do you answer those questions in a clear consistent 
regular, safe, valuable way uh, when it's impossible to tell when somebody is just making a joke. Right. And I, so, I see that all the time on sports, sports Twitter. A lot of people will be like, oh, I can't like, I know this is sarcasm because I listen to your podcast. The people that are fighting in your comments, they don't. And that's on you, dude. Sarcasm is, is a very nuanced way to communicate. You almost need to see someone and you certainly need to hear them. Like if you wrote, if you read this in a book, would you be like, what the fuck is this guy thinking? Like you drew a conclusion. This is a sentence. There's a subject and a predicate and a period. What are we doing here? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very confusing. And like the, 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 the silent communication ability, like the body language and the eye contact and the little the little winks and nudges and stuff that you get from person-to-person interaction, like if you can read those social cues, then you can take away understanding of, of what something of, of what somebody said much better than if you just read words that they've written in an online forum that's largely based on jokes. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. So and on that, I have I found some academic research, Chris. Or do you want to talk about politics first? Well, I do want to mention, yeah. uh, I, I guess like, the real, like the, the bigger picture. So, like taking a step back from like the specifics of Twitter and like when something is or isn't okay. sarcasm online, we're really getting at a larger like the, really a domain. I would say of like public interaction and and like this goes all the way down from like the very hyper local like domain of information that a person consumes, and it's all the way out to like genuinely international relations. Like countries try to control information narratives all the time to get whatever their poli- geopolitical objectives are. And like even help them like try to combat and win wars. Like you got to have the war of public opinion right alongside the war of like actually fighting somebody else. Russia and Ukraine is a perfect example. Of right. That. Uh, there have obviously been political ramifications around a space that is occupied by so many people who are not just jokers, but also like genuinely politically interested in trying to generate activity and and promote specific opinions. Uh, and the information space in in the days following Elon Musk's acquisition of Twitter on October 27th are decidedly political. And you can tell that by the number of followers for verified political personalities. Uh, So here's some interesting information from The Economist, uh, which is my favorite news source. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the four days after Elon Musk took over Twitter, Republican congressional members collectively gained something like 470,000 followers. Hmm. So on average, they added 18 new, 1,800 new followers in like four days. That's crazy. Uh, in comparison, Democrats actually decreased uh, the, the, uh, the, the number of, uh, of followers. And when I say Republicans, I'm not saying like every single one gained 1,800 new followers. Mm-hmm, what obviously. I'm saying is that like the most inflammatory, most hyper-vocal members of the Republican Party, and even those that promote genuine conspiracy theories like QAnon, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene, I'm talking about Lauren Boebert, uh, they're the ones who are getting the largest uh, increase in followers. And so it cannot be a coincidence. Uh, and with the prevalence of bots, like odds are most of those are bots. right? And th- it's probably an attempt by somebody may or may not be in this country to try to control the information space and take this like narrative, like make the next move in this never ending battle for like the public narrative and controlling the information space. So just keep an eye on that. Well, it's really, that's a really good point. It lends into my academic research because in 2017, 18, uh, a group of researchers from somewhere, we'll read it here in a second. They wanted to investigate whether being verified impacts how people receive a message. And what they found decidedly was no. Um, they, it did not impact the credibility of the message or the credibility of the account in any way. In fact, not only that, a large number of people simply missed that the account was verified when they read the tweet correctly. So they, I mean, the researchers suggest maybe make the blue check mark bigger or whatever. But what they said was, is that people essentially see it and they look past it and they're like, well, who the fuck are you? Regardless of the blue check. Like, like I would just mentioned this Alex Krishna person, he's verified. Why? Like most people will see him. And if you're not in college football, you'd be like, who the fuck are you commenting on Elon Musk? Why do I care about? So you look into him. It's like, oh, you're, you're a nobody in this space. You are not qualified to comment on Elon Musk at all. You're just a guy with a check mark. So you yep. are commenting on them. So what these researchers found decidedly was that people will investigate. And it doesn't matter where it came from. What matters is, do they believe the account? Is the message like a complete thought? Is it uh, purposely ignoring the complete picture? Like, is it only showing half of the playing card as a brick? Like, it's, it is a complete... <laughs> Did you, did you just like dip into my cousin Vinny? Oh, there? 100%. I, I shout out to all the people who are at least 30 years old who re- remember that movie. That was one of the greatest movies of all time. What an Oscar Marissa to me. It's bricks. It's thin like a playing card. Um, yeah, so these, they, the researchers found decidedly like it doesn't matter that much at all. And it is super doesn't matter 
um, in terms of val- validating a source. So the source, say like if it was newstoday.com as a Twitter account, if they went there to the public profile and they saw that like this is them and here's a link to their website and stuff, it didn't matter if they had a blue check. They took those wow. sources more credibly than they took like the conservative daily with a blue check. Like, mm, but I know what this is. Right. So, and wow. then this couples with a lot of dark social research that's kind of happening now in marketing circles. Dark social is like deep, 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 deep fakes for influencers. Like, is this an endorsement? What is this? Right. I because thought you, I thought you were talking about like, uh, oh, like no. the evils of social interaction. No. Dark social is where they get someone to endorse a product without them understanding that's an endorsement and therefore don't have to pay them. Oh. Yeah, we're going to do an episode about that. I'm looking for a guest right now. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's really interesting. Uh-huh. It's tricky. So, and they do a bunch of market research. Like Tyson Chicken just did it, and it was dirty. Yeah. So, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> well, but so what's happening is millennials started this because grew up online, and then Gen Z is now continuing forward. Younger generations are much better at just assuming something is fake and then having to validate it themselves. So when you say like Marjorie Taylor Greene, the, the representative from Georgia who's certifiably violent and crazy they are she's getting all these followers but people who are influenced regardless of where they lean um can look at this and be like i I understand what's happening here like a blue check mark is not going to pull the wool over my eyes um and even like the content of your message is is just as important as if it came from some dude who has a bot as his picture people are are going to validate whatever they want with whatever they want it's like this idea that i think that we're past the risk of people thir- like 45 and under being duped but in, in any serious information online. I think the risk is for people who are still adjusting and grew up in the era of newspapers and TV news and newsrooms and things. They, I think, are still at risk of being duped pretty aggressively. And you see elderly people get scammed all the time. But 45 and under, they're like, who are you? How do I know this yeah. is real? Yeah, and that, that's a really good thing. It, it's, it's so hard to try to discern discern what is true and what is not on the internet like you you, you can't you can't do it, it no. it's just so difficult to do and I, I think that really is a problem when you have people who are like of a certain political opinion or of like a certain like way of living such that they don't really trust like mainstream media because i mean mainstream media has a record that is highly imperfect when it mm-hmm. comes to like promoting information and so and then layered on top of that like it's hard to distinguish sometimes between just factual information, just like raw reporting. And when somebody is subtly editorializing an issue yeah. uh, and that doesn't even have to be based on like what is or is not written in a story. It can be based on like which stories actually make it out of the newsroom and into print. So when people are suspicious of like what media is saying and that like they don't have a verifiable source of information and like links to legit established organizations uh, are, don't mean anything to them. Then suddenly it becomes possible like, well, if there's no frame of reference for truth against which to check the things I consume, then I can just make one up on my own. Right. And the easiest way to make one up is to agree with all the things that make me feel good or comfortable or righteous or justified, or sometimes even angry. But when some people like, think differently than I do. And then that just becomes the framework for truth that I use. Right. And you know, when it, when it's limited to the online discourse, when it's like just limited to pose loss style interactions of like people expressing opinions and making jokes and not being able to distinguish between the two, that's one thing. Uh, it's another, when it breaks out into the real world and people become like genuinely violent, like the Mm -hmm. terrorists on January 6th who attacked the U.S. Capitol, like the seat of governance in the free world. Like that was based largely on dishonesty. Uh, And they wouldn't know it's dishonesty because they've built their own framework for checking the truth. And that framework is how I feel about that. Right. Uh, Examples continue. Like that was, that was obviously the the, the most major one, I think. Uh, But examples continue, like even recently, like just within the last two weeks, a major public figure in Congress, like the third person in line to the seat of the presidency, uh, had her home broken into and her husband was assaulted with a hammer and had to get brain surgery because somebody had just like made up, like made up this quest to try to like stop the lies because he was like some arbiter of truth or something. And it was like clearly politically motivated. And, you know, the, 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 the I don't know if there's a direct connection to Twitter, but there is a direct connection to the online uh, information space and how dangerous and difficult it is to discern what is true and what isn't. And that's a real problem when that kind of stuff spills over into the real world and people are genuinely conducting acts of political violence. That's a problem. Yeah. And like, I think, I mean, not to, not to get on my high horse virtue signaling you here, but uh, incredibly your everything you said is true. It's also very white and privileged because Facebook has directly caused and created multiple ongoing genocides right now in the world. There are two genocides happening 
that were created by Facebook, full stop. Because, and like, there are people, and we'll, I, I, we're, we'll, do into the, we'll do a genocide episode and, and it's with its relationship to Facebook at some point for sure. Yeah, so buckle up for that one, player three. Buckle up, because what happens is Facebook comes preloaded on phones. They don't speak the language of the natives or of a, a certain dialect of a certain language, so they are not capable of regulating it at Facebook in California. They don't know what's happening, and they can just do whatever, and these people can congregate, and they can just make a plan. It's like there's hatred in the world among uh, developing countries in Tigray and, of course, in Myanmar, um, now they have this insane tool where all of these psychos can get together and they just murder people. Yeah, and so it's like starving it's them not to like death in Ethiopia. Facebook isn't the mastermind, or like it's no. not directing what's happening. But it's like if you're if you're an arsonist, you got to have fuel and you got to have an accelerant. Uh, Facebook and like other social media platforms, like that gives them a very easily accessible, widespread, dangerous accelerant to right. like burn down whatever they want to burn down. Right, and when the company can't tell that it's happening. Like who, what are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, at a certain just, point, if you're a victim, it, it's kill or be killed. It truly it is. Which well, is and wild. like, and, and like that gets into questions too. Like what, to what degree is a company accountable for things that happen in the real world because of information that, that is consumed or disseminated on their platforms? Right. And then like, and then like, you know, the, the real conspiracy minded among us will be like, we'll see like, okay, well this platform started fact checking. That's great. But like, also, a lot of the claims that they like try to fact check may or may not be like really fact checkable. It's like you know, you know people people try to spin stories in a certain way, and like that may or may not be true. Like it, it's it's hard because like you can use true information to draw the wrong conclusions. So like, how do you fact check that? Right. Like you can you can use like actual data in the real world to like come to an end of a logical end of thinking that just does not match up with like what a reasonable person would think. So like, what do you, what do you do in those cases? Like you can have all the little fact checkers in the world you want, but like at the end of the day, that's not protecting the truth. That's protecting really the company's liability uh, in terms of like what could or could not be considered like traceable back to the company's actions and like right. the, the platform's capabilities. Correct. Yeah, exactly. So I call this, I came up with this in college and maybe I, sh I mean, again, I, all ambi all ambition, no follow through from this guy. Now this was, this was Ole Miss or Sheridan, uh, Western or Sheridan. Okay. Sheridan. Yes. Yeah. So I call college this one of it is what I learned about interpersonal human communications and this concept that perception is reality where it doesn't matter what is actually true. It matters is what you think is true. And that's real. And then I realized, well, what, what is the difference between truth and reality? And so I came up with, I call it the experience triangle. And it's how all of us experience the world. This is just my little theory where you, the, the angles of the triangle, the points of the triangle are factual, a fact, reality, and truth, right? And they're not the same thing, even fact, though- Fact, reality, and truth. Yes. Wow. So think about this. So this is what I'll say. A fact is the, the word of God. Like that a fact is a fact is a fact is a fact, and it is indiscernible. And similar to scientific data, they're rare. Real facts in a sentence or two or a paragraph or a paper are actually incredibly hard to come by. So everybody's laughing at well, alternative facts. Like, well, no, it's not an alternative fact. It's just the fact that you presented is incomplete. That's, that's what I'm saying. A genuine fact, like there, there are not as many of them as you think. It's like, for example, like I think therefore I am, like I exist as a fact. If only in my brain, like that is a, I believe in that as a fact. That's a fact. Okay. Okay. Rene Descartes, you know, yeah, there yeah, are okay. schools of philosophy who would say that that's not a fact. Well, then that is reality, right? So what I experience is real. It could be factual. It could be just a truth that I am experiencing, or it could just be perception. It doesn't Isn't have this to that be that one scene. Th this is that scene out of uh, the seventh Harry Potter. Um, oh, which yeah. spoiler alert. Look, player three, if you haven't read the Harry Voldemort Potter series right now, you need to grow up. Stop it. Mm. Uh, go out and buy the books. Sure. Uh, but there's that scene where he's like, uh, he like meets Dumbledore at the train station as he's about to, uh, He's, he's like, he's been killed, I think. And then he goes to this like King's Cross station looking mm -hmm. thing. And he's like, yeah, heaven. Yeah, and he has this little conversation and he sees like the Voldemort homunculus or whatever. <laughs> and then at the end of that, he's like, Professor, is all of this happening in my head or is it real? And he's like, of course it's happening in your head, Harry. But why should that mean that it is not real? It's exactly right. Yeah, it's like what is real and what is factual, they don't have to intersect. And the majority of the time, based on my assertion that a real fact is hard to find, like a genuine fact, that most of your reality is not factual. It's just your observation. And that's the truth part of the triangle, right? What you are, what you are experiencing can be true and only partially factual and not even real. Like if you can sit here and daydream, 
right? That's truth for you. You just experience, like if you get high and you sit in a chair and you have a hallucination, you experience that. It isn't real, but it's truth. The, the, the things you learned about yourself are true and none of it is factual or it can yeah. be factual. <laughs> I, I can see the onion writing an article about this episode right now. I know. But I, area, I, man, I, I, area man discovers epistemology. I've thought about this for a long time and I feel very confident in my ability to say this. Like a good example that I like to use when I, when I, when I think about this is smoking. It took decades to definitively prove that cigarettes lead to cancer for a huge portion of people because cigarettes were only associated with cancer. But people who smoke getting cancer, real. Cigarettes are bad, truth. Cigarettes causing cancer being a fact is incredibly hard to prove. And that's the rare part of this. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And like, and for for the skeptics among us, like, I, I'm sure there are people out there like, like player three, you might be thinking right now, like, that's ridiculous. It's an obvious fact, like anybody who has any brains would know that they just didn't know any better, blah, blah, blah. Think about how many times you see a study that comes up, like, you're looking at Google News, you're scrolling through your phone or whatever, and you see like, oh, studies show drinking coffee is good for your body. And then six months later, oh, studies show drinking coffee is linked to liver disease. Like, okay, it is very, very hard. Like, there, there's just so much variability and so much diversity in, like, the human body. And there's so much mystery involved in, like, the digestive process and, like, multitudes of factors that could be at play. Like, it's so, you can't just isolate people for a year, have them only drink coffee, and then see what happens on the other Correct. side. Yep. It's, it's a dynamic system. It's very, very hard for scientists to do that kind of meticulous research in the environment that lacks controls. So when you are trying to establish what is or is not scientific fact, like there's a reason these reports say stuff like studies show. And it's because the studies represent ongoing work that is mm -hmm. pursuing truth. That's trying to establish like a real meaningful association for you, the, the non-expert. Uh, but it's hard to get to the final conclusion that is like actual fact information. Yeah, and, so like, uh, that's a good example. Let's take it with Twitter. This, this is another great example. And like, I'm kind of going through this now work, writing a story about cannabis. Cannabis is a great one, right? So, Remember, when we'll, we'll take this to Twitter. It's like fact, truth, reality. What actually happens, what is like a fact, like the word of God, and then what is a true experience of yours. So let's say you have chronic pain and you're 75, and you smoke weed and it relieves your pain. That's true. You were there, okay. you did it in your head, you don't have yep. pain anymore. It's also real. You really don't have pain because you don't, your perception is reality, and you don't have pain because you smoked weed. Weed stops pain for you. Cannabis being a painkiller, that's not a fact. It could be yeah, a fact one day. But it is not a fact right now. And even though it's like if you say smoking weed relieves pain, that's true and real. But it is not an incalculable fact. So if you're going to tweet that and if you had a, a Twitter account, you said smoking weed cures pain. True, real, not factual. And that's where you get into this thing of like you presented it, though, as a fact. But it's not you didn't lie because it was real and it was the truth. You didn't make anything up, but you presented it as the word of God also. And that's where we get into this. It's pretty, this is pretty good. I'm shocked by the coherence of this framework. Yeah. I smoked a little grass in college. I do want to, <laughs> I do, I do want to hear yeah, for pain relief purposes, of course. Correct. Uh, I do want to hear from, uh, from player three. So if, uh, if any of you guys out there have any thoughts on this kind of like truth, reality, fact, uh, triangle, uh, especially as it relates to like how, like the information space on Twitter, we really want to have this conversation. I, I mean, like th that's kind of like a meta request for everybody. Cause we're talking about the information space and yeah. public discourse and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, this is a one way podcast. Like, you know, we might have you on the show if you have a good enough opinion, but that's a good uh, call. right now you're listening to us and we, we would love to, to open up the second, like make this yeah. a two lane road. Love Absolutely hear from you about this. Whatever, yeah. Reddit, we, we're, we're everywhere. We promise that we will never abuse your audience. We are simply going to sell it to whoever give us, gives us the most amount of money and uh, has products that we like. And we'll never say that we're never going to make you pay anything because you're paying exactly what this podcast is worth right now. <laughs> That's going to remain true into the future. <laughs>